Well, it's a funny message today at some level. Um, I brought this pen along. And uh, I want you just to guess from where you are. Uh, th- th- there's no thing coming out the end of it here. Um, I want you to guess from where you are. Is this a click pen or a twist pen? Anyone know? Show of hands for click. Some for twist. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, here we go. So uh, there we go. It's a click pen. Okay. Now, uh, that wasn't just to kind of give everyone, put everyone in two teams so we can have a fight or something at church. Uh, what, what I want to say today is uh, this message that we're doing today, I, I, I want to be really honest about it. It's a hard message. It's one of these messages where if you think differently to God on this, it simply won't click. You'll have to twist it. You'll have to do something with it to hear something other than what Jesus is saying. But it'll take the work of God to change our hearts so that this message will click for us, so that we'll believe it, so that we'll let it change us. It's not a message that can just kind of wash by us. And if we're wrong, just like with this pen, if we're wrong, if you think it's a twist message, you can do that all you want and you'll break it and you'll get nothing useful out of it. God is going to have to help us get the point, to have it click. So that's why we prayed. And I want to ask today, if at the end of it you're thinking, I'm not sure I believe that, that's okay, but let's talk about it some more. It's going to need God to convince us of what we hear today. So with that slightly ominous warning, let's uh, let's jump in. Uh, I I love the idea of um, self-serve, although I've found recently when I go up to Woolworths, um, I'm trying to go in the line with people who, who are in it. Have you done this? So I, I don't like the kind of checkout thing where I have to do the, all the scanning myself. I'd, I prefer to talk to the person on the basis that I might be developing a relationship with someone who lives in Oran Park. So that's me. I'm weird. Some of you are just going, I want to get out of here quickly. And if I can scan my three items and get out, that's great. Is that right? Uh, it's interesting. The idea of self-serve is I'll do it quicker, I'll do it better, and I can move on. Uh, this, is a, this is a coin wash self-serve laundry. I want to change the sign for a second. Uh, it now reads, a religion self-serve laundry. Uh, I think the idea of having a self-serve religion, one where we do it on our terms, where we get washed uh, at our terms, in our time, in our place, appeals to us. If I can do a little bit of religion on my terms, and walk away clean and washed, that'd be great. Thank you very much. I think that's the heart of religion. And I think it's what's at stake in the passage here today. Have a look with me at the man that we meet in our, uh, in our passage here, uh, in Mark 10. Uh, if you can open it up, uh, we're looking at, uh, at verses uh, 17 to 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, First thing we must say is, this guy's eager, isn't he? He ran up to Jesus. Apparently it wasn't very couth, uh, it wasn't very polite to run. You wouldn't run in a hot climate. So he's running and he literally throws himself down in front of Jesus. He's really keen. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the question that we all should be asking. How do we get there? How do we get a life that will last into the age? 
Because of that eagerness and keenness, we might think to ourselves, great recruit for Jesus. Have a listen to Jesus' response in verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. That's pretty confrontational, isn't it? He's the man throwing himself on the ground, good teacher. Now, it may be that Jesus is saying, turn your buttering up down. But Jesus is actually doing something a little bit, uh, a little bit stronger here, I think. He says, no one is good except who? God alone. So you've just called me good teacher. Do you know what you're saying? The amazing thing about Jesus is that he committed no sin. Have a listen to what Peter said. But Peter was one of Jesus' key disciples. He spent three years walking around Galilee following Jesus. He ate with him. He probably slept near him. He was a man who was totally invested in Jesus' life for at least three years. Here's what he writes of Jesus. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, if you spent three weeks with me, I regret to tell you, you'd see me sin. We could make it shorter. You could say three days. My wife might say three hours. You would see my sin, and yet Peter, who lived with Jesus, slept with him, spent time with him, he was able to say he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Extraordinary claim, isn't it? No one is good except God alone. So when this man says, good teacher, Jesus is saying, do you know what you're saying? And then he says, no one is good except God alone, which also has an implication for us, doesn't it? Have a listen to these words from Romans 3. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And you go, well, except for me. When it says here, there is no one who does good, not even one, it's saying that each of us are marked with sin. Jesus, on the other hand, is totally untouched by sin. Religion asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Religion always asks, what must I do? But it makes a mistake on our goodness. It assumes that I have something to offer God because I'm pretty good anyway. Religion will always say, how do I build my stairway to heaven? What must I do? So that's religion. And Jesus immediately stops the man where he is. Have a listen to, uh, to what he says here. Now, here's a man, uh, he actually looks remarkably happy, doesn't he? Uh, for a man with an eye patch on. Uh, there's a certain happiness about our religious man here as well. Have a look at verses 19 to 20. Jesus continues, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He's pretty happy, isn't it? Jesus has gone, Ten Commandments, you know them? He goes, do I know them? Jesus gives him some and he says, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've kept them since I was a tiny guy. Well, I want you to just take a closer look for a second. Here are the commandments that Jesus said. Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, do not steal, do not defraud. I think this one might be a take on do not give false testimony, okay? Uh, Honour your parents. 
All right, I want you to see the ones he left out. You ready? No other gods. Don't make an idol. Don't misuse my name. Keep the Sabbath and do not covet. Now, if Jesus said, you know, the Ten Commandments, how have you gone with all ten of them? I'm not sure whether the guy could have said the same thing. In fact, I think Jesus saying, here's the five I'm giving you, is actually saying, are you aware of the ones I haven't asked you about? How are you doing with coveting? How are you doing with having another God other than me? Have you turned something in your life into an idol? But the man, because of his sin, I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, sin excuses itself. Sin justifies itself. So here's the thing. Sin blinds us and justifies us by standards that are less than God's. Let me explain what I mean. You could say, hey, hey, the, that, that bit before when you were saying there's no one who is good. Well, I'm pretty good. I know that I do these four things really, really well. I'm proud of me. In fact, I'm better than other people I know at doing these things. And all God would say is, have you got my standard in mind or a restricted set that you've chosen? I've said that my, all that matters to be good is these four things in my life, and I'm pretty good at them. And God says, did you know that there might be a few others? And if there are, how are you doing with them? The problem isn't that we can't say, I do some good things. It's that we say we're done, we're good before God because we've done a few things. Sin blinds us to our own sin and we think we're doing well by our own standards, not God's. So Jesus has already said to this man so far, do you know what? You might be wrong about how good I am. I'm really good. And you know what? You might be wrong about yourself. You're not half as good, literally, as you think you are. Uh, this picture here, don't worry, this is a dummy if you're wondering what the picture is. This picture is uh, some uh, US Army servicemen in the field uh, and they're doing some uh, emergency first aid. The idea here is that you've got a, uh, a limb that's, um, can you see that? That's the red bit. Uh, a limb that's been severed, and what do you need to do in that case? Well, you need to get a tourniquet on it really quickly. You need to bind that up because you're bleeding out. And if we don't stop that, if we don't constrict that flow, if we don't stop right there, you're going to die. Okay? I want you to see Jesus do some spiritual first aid on this man. Let's, uh, let's jump in back to, uh, to chapter 10 and verse 21. Remember, the man's just said, Jesus, all these I've kept since I was a boy. In verse 21, I mean, how beautiful are these words? Jesus looked at him and loved him. We should just stop there, shouldn't we? Jesus is about to say some really heavy things to this man. But what it says is he doesn't do it aggressively. He doesn't do it to... Uh, to ruin his life. He does it because he loves him. Because he loves him. And so he says here, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. How is that loving? Have a listen to what Jesus said. 
I think it's really interesting for us to consider. Jesus is operating, and this is where God's going to have to help us. Jesus is operating with a world that includes a heavenly reality. We, more often than not, just work with an earthly reality. The, the material things that we see around us is all that there is in this life. Jesus is saying there is a spiritual, there is an eternal, there is actually a heaven where God dwells. And you need to keep both of these in mind if you're to make sense of what he's about to say. Let's break up what he said to the man. He says, go, sell, give, gain, follow. Did, did you notice there was some gain there somewhere? Have, have a look again. Go, so he has to go away from Jesus. I think this is intriguing anyway. Uh, the man's come to Jesus. Jesus says, you actually need to go away from me first. Good to know. Go, then he says, sell everything that you have. Okay, Jesus. So that's, that's a big deal. He says, then give to the poor. So not just sell it and cash it into a set of stocks on, or something like that. No, no. Uh, give it to the poor. And then he says this, and I think we all miss it. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus is actually saying, well... There's going to be a, ba- a bunch of loss here. You're going to lose heaps. You're going to lose everything that's financial in your life. But I'm saying to you that you will profit, you will gain immensely if you do this. You will gain immensely if you do this. The problem for the man is this divide that I've just drawn up on the screen. Have a look at this. What's obvious to the man, he can see by sight is that he will have to go, he will have to sell, and he will have to give. That's obvious. It's in his physical world. Jesus says, if you do that act, there are blessings for you in heaven and the Son of God to follow on earth. There are things that you will receive by faith if you count the cost of what you have right in front of you. Are you prepared to forsake what you see for what you can't see yet? And Jesus says, this is a great bargain. You'll gain treasure in heaven. And elsewhere it says, the reason that treasure in heaven is so good is is what? What's the advantage of treasure in heaven? Jesus says, it will never perish, spoil or fade. No one can rob it from you there. It's an eternal, valuable possession that will never degrade. Trade this for that and you will profit. It sounds nuts, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's all very well. Uh, Imagine it was you. I want you to sell your house and empty your bank account and I'll meet you at the corner up near the uh, sales centre as we go on an itinerant walk to somewhere you don't know. Terrifying prospect, isn't it? This is what Jesus says. He says, Forever wants to set it just the other week. Forever wants to save their life or lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. He says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What's at stake can't be bought, but it can be lost. See, what's happening is you and I are bleeding. Our wealth 
is killing us at some level. And Jesus wants to lovingly point out our loss and the potential profit that's before us. You can gain treasure in heaven if you're prepared to stem the loss. I don't, I don't do much flying uh, around the place. Some people do. Has anyone heard of the Chairman's Lounge? Has anyone been, been to the Chairman's Lounge? No. Oh, I see a nod. Okay, yes, I know why too. Chairman's Lounge. Apparently, it's a super restricted kind of part of the Qantas flying experience. And if you're one of the more wealthy people, you can go get an invitation to the Chairman's Lounge. It's not something that you can earn enough frequent fire points to get to. It's basically because you're special. You're rich enough, important enough to come into this private area. So it's for the special people, for the wealthy people. And apparently Virgin's just opened one as well, which is kind of behind a, just a plain door that says private or something like that. It's just one of those wonderful insider kind of things where only the wealthy and the rich get to come in. And you and I get this sign kind of across the front. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. You aren't welcome here. Now, we're used to a world where being rich gives you access. We are used to a world where being rich gives you access. I want you to see what Jesus says here that's so surprising to our minds. Have a look with me at verses 22 to 27. At this, the man's face fell. He listened to Jesus. He went away sad because he had what? Great wealth. I don't know if it would have been easier if he'd had some wealth, but it says here he had great wealth. Having thrown himself at Jesus' feet, this man decides now he cannot possibly do it. It's too much and he leaves. Jesus looked around at the patch of dirt where the man had been lying that was now empty. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. It's extraordinary. Jesus says there's an entry to a lounge where being rich doesn't get you in. In fact, being rich will shut you out. It is desperately difficult. In fact, it says there, with man, this is impossible. You know, there's a whole bunch of conjecture on this, uh, this image. Uh, have you seen a camel before? Up close? All right, let's say most of us don't live in camel land and they don't regularly bump into camels. That's a camel. It's a little bit larger than a person, isn't it? Do you know why Jesus picked the camel? It's the largest moving thing in their world. Okay? Camel. I've got to be very careful with this. My wife has told me I can't lose it. This, this is a needle. Now, some of you will be thinking, ah, camels through the eye of needles. Of course, back in Jesus' day, they used to have 10-foot-high needles. Why did Jesus choose a needle? It's the smallest opening he could think of to describe. 
What did he pick? The biggest moving thing they have and the smallest opening that they have. Now, uh, a bunch of you might have heard something about a gate in Jerusalem and the rest of it. I've read every commentary I can put my hands on. They say it's rubbish. It's got nothing to do with that. What Jesus is saying is something that the disciples got straight away. Despite how cool it sounds to have a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of a Needle. Incidentally, how many gates are called eyes of needles? It's very strange. It would be called the fish gate or something like that, which is mentioned in the Bible. It wouldn't be called the eye of the needle. Here's the thing. Big camel, tiny little opening. Here's, let me just bring it into the modern day for us. We have gates on uh, microchips, right, that are kind of nanometers wide. Okay, so that's our smallest gate. Let's go with something big. This is a super tanker. It was the largest super tanker around. Okay, it's 458 meters long half a kilometre long. It is a large vessel. That is a tiny gateway. Let me just see if I can get you Jesus' point. Jesus is saying it is easier for a rich person to go into the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, than for a super tanker to go through a nano-sized gate on a microchip. What's his point? His point is, get this, it is impossible It's really important that we don't have some wiggle room. This is tiny. That is large. Jesus is saying it's actually impossible for rich people to be saved. That should be terrifying, shouldn't it? Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Do you know what's even harder? The even harder thing is for us to believe that this includes me. Are you? I'm letting you read your me as well. By every possible measure, and I'm not going to trace out the things that we do with we're trying to say that we're rich in Australia. You guys know this already, don't you? You know we're rich. We're extraordinarily rich. We just saw Dory up here, didn't we, this morning? She's a little girl who lives in Tanzania who has mud on the floor, mud on the walls, and tin on the roof. If you want to know what poverty looks like, go and have a see what's happening in Fiji where they're cleaning up the houses that have been blown down over there. Because by every possible measure, no no matter whether you're making your mortgage repayments well or not, I mean, this this is the difficulty we have, isn't it? We can be rich and still be struggling. But we are extraordinarily rich. And so when Jesus says it is impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, he is talking about us and our neighbors. He really is. He's saying you can't get in there. So that sounds terrible, except there was a second half to the verse that we read where I said, with man, this is impossible. Have, we, have a look with me at verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And the crowd went, yeah, that's brilliant news. We, we can be saved. You and I can be saved. Our neighbours can be saved. Orem Park and the growing southwest can be saved because although it's impossible with man to be good enough for God because we're so bonded to our wealth, we're such idolaters to our wealth, the wonderful thing is that Jesus can prize our hands from our wealth and place our trust on him. That's his job. That's what he can do for us. 
It says extraordinarily in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How will you and I be saved? It is not by good teacher, what must I do? It is good teacher, I have nothing to offer, what might I receive? The gift of God, eternal life. How has it come at extraordinary cost on the cross? On the cross, the impossible is made possible. You and I don't have to die for our sins. Jesus dies in our place. He pays the price for our sins. It's an extraordinary offer. On April the 27th, 1975, this boat turned up in Darwin Harbour. It had come from Vietnam. You can imagine, if you've got any idea on history, what was happening in Vietnam at this time. So Vietnam was being, the, the north was coming to the south and anyone who had been on the side of the Americans basically had to get out or they were going to be put into re-education camps and all sorts of stuff like this. Thousands and thousands of people got on boats and scattered around the world. Ando, do you know the comedian? Ando? Okay, Ando is one of these people, hopped off a boat with nothing, not a thing, had literally left everything because life was more important than possessions and because the path to life meant you had to leave everything behind. Have a listen to Peter talking to Jesus after he said these things. You know, why, why were they so amazed? They were so amazed because rich people should be in the kingdom of God, because Abraham was rich, because Jacob was rich, because it looked like it was a blessing from God. But what happened was people turned blessings from God into curses. So have a look with me at verses 28 to 31. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, bonus prize, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There is a day of great reversal coming and Jesus is saying, if you're on board with him, there will be a reward, an eternal reward and, an, and a reward now. See, what happens if I leave my family? Jesus says you will be brought into a family. If you lose your home, you'll be brought into a place of community where there will be a home for you. It challenges us in our individuality, which says my possessions are mine, to say what sort of community are we? What would it mean for someone to leave their family and be found in our family? Would it feel like family? Would we look after them and care for them if they brought nothing with them? Brothers and sisters, it's a great challenge, isn't it? To say, will we be the church here, a real family that will genuinely look out for one another? Jesus says, if you leave all those things, you'll gain a hundredfold in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Brilliant. How should we apply it today? Will we twist it or will we click it? Some of you might think, well, Jesus said to this man, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And so we, we would think, okay, so Stuart, what you're asking us to do is end up on the streets in a slum. 
Is that what you're really asking us to do? I think the really challenging thing to say is, what if that is what Jesus is asking us to do? And we don't give ourselves a free pass first. Karen and I were talking about this the other day. We're just saying, what would it mean if we had to give up everything tomorrow and start again? Say, Jesus, we're yours. Everything is gone. Would we do it? I think we need to wrestle with that. How vulnerable, how exposed. I'll tell you what, you will pray. Give us today our daily bread, won't you? Lord, may your kingdom be honoured because I haven't got a kingdom anymore. My kingdom's gone. Forgive me my sins because I can't afford to be out of relationship with you, Jesus, because I'm all in and you're all I've got. So I want to say first and foremost, I want us to hear the challenge. Leave everything and come follow me. What we can't do is hear this, which I think our world will yell very loudly at us. Sorry, go back. Keep spending and stay in debt. It can't be good enough, can it, church? It can't be our response to this sermon. Keep spending and be in debt. So what would Jesus change for us? What would he change? Where would he push us? Where is he pushing us now? And you're thinking, there's no way. No, Jesus, keep your hands off that. See, we're sick, you and I. Oren Park, the growing southwest, we're sick. And what we've caught is a thing called affluenza. Have you heard of this? Not, not influenza. Affluenza. Here's how it was defined in a, uh, an article I read the other day. How do you know if you've got affluenza? Three things, three things. Discontentment, discontentment. Independence, independence, and ingratitude. Let me, let me flesh those out for you. What does that look like? Well, number one, discontentment. Look, if only I had, uh, I, know, I know I've got a green one and a pink one, but if I had a blue one, that set would look, I only need one more, I don't know. Isn't it wonderful? I cannot guess what's in your head right now, but you have something that if I only had one more or another or a little more, and we can all probably write down what that is. Because surely a $10,000 carbon frame rides better than a $2,500 carbon frame bike. For example. discontentment, that somewhere in us is a state of perpetual non-satisfaction. I am longing still for. Why don't I have a? When will I get my? Why don't I? Discontentment. Second one, independence. This is staggering, and I think this is really, really challenging for us, church. I don't need to pray about it. Why don't you need to pray about this problem? Because I have the resources at my disposal to mean I'm the God of my life. If I have a need, I'm not in prayer about it because I can solve it. I won't be prayerful because everything I need is at my disposal. That's staggering. If that's the reason I don't pray, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? Because I feel like my life's in charge. I'm in charge of it. I'm on top of it. What about the last one, ingratitude? Well, I don't need to be thankful for anything that I have because I earned it. Yeah? My holiday. 
my little reward, my time to relax. I earned it, so why do I need to be thankful for it? No, 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 my blood, sweat and tears, my overtime hours, they earned that. No thankfulness. Now, I don't know about you, but I might be showing some of those symptoms. Here's the thing. I was going to tell you some things to do. Guess what that would have fallen into? The young man runs up to Jesus, falls on the ground and says, good teacher, what must I do? Now, I'm going to tell you some things I think will help. But what I need to point you to is this guy here called Jesus who says, come what? Follow me. I need to say to you, church, the antidote isn't a thing to do. It's a person to know. It's someone to throw yourself in the dust before. And if, if, if our lives are about making sure that our priorities are in order and we're in control and whatever, this is a, it's a, it's an, it's a humiliating act to fall into the dirt before Jesus, isn't it? I've got nothing. I need you, Jesus. That's what he's looking for from us. Not a tick of a cent, not an hour and a half on a Sunday. Oh, and I'm pretty good. I give you two hours on Wednesday as well. No, no, no. My whole life on the dust. The antidote to affluenza is falling in love with our Savior who has given his life to save rebellious, rich people like us. So the first thing is, get Jesus. If you've got Jesus, and a number of you are sitting here going, yeah, I chose Jesus a long time ago. We're doing that. I want to, I want to, I want to give you some things that you can, uh, you can work on as you ask Jesus to help you get rid of the, uh, the sniffle of influenza. Response one, generously giving our money and making thankfulness a heart habit. You want to know how to break the hold that money has on you. Open your palms and try giving some of it away. I find it hard every time I do it, but rewarding every time I do it. Don't do it enough. Need to do it more. Open our hands. Start giving generously. Making thankfulness a habit. So when you pray, go, what can I be thankful for? And be specific. Jesus, I'm incredibly grateful today that I wake up in a clean bed with a roof over my head, and no sound of gunfire in the neighbourhood. You know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's a blessing you don't even know you have. We just take it for granted. Be explicit. Second one. Believing that no one is good, including me. So here's the thing. We have an incredible message. We have an incredible message. But it's only useful, it'll only click... It'll only be useful if you agree that you're not good enough for God. In the meantime, let's build our stairways to heaven, hey? We need to believe that we need Jesus, believing that no one is good, including me. Response three, given that, staying unsurprised at the hardness in our harvest. I, do, you, do you remember this thing, the size of this little gateway here I had? Do you remember how small it was? Jesus says, this is how easy it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. So why is now whole suburb here today? Because the gateway's a bit small, isn't it? So here's the thing. We should not be surprised that it's hard work seeing the church grow in Oran Park. 
because we're dealing with rich people. Response four, we should be faithfully praying for camels, shouldn't we? Yeah? I just, this is just so helpful for me. No, my friend won't just naturally pop into church. They're a camel, and the doorway out there is as wide as the head of a needle. How are they going to get in? I need to pray. I need to depend that it's God's work that will save them. That the real labor is in prayer. Isn't that great? It's not just me. Please, let's connect, care, communicate, commit. We need to do all those things. But if it's prayerless, it's impossible. I think that's huge. So the real work is done in prayer. Response five, let's invest in heaven work and the real economy. What I mean by that is we have to be people who believe what Jesus says that there are treasures to be stored up in heaven, that what we can see now by sight is worth trading for for what we will receive by faith. That's an extraordinary exchange. My things I have now, Lord, may they be used for your kingdom because there will be reward and recompense in glory and it'll be worth it. I preached long, but I want to ask God to help us that we might be a group of people for whom something called new life has come something that's different to the life we were living before we got saved and that's different to the world around us. Radically different because we're in love with Jesus and we've cut off possessions from the hold they have on our heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the extraordinary work of Jesus. I thank you that this man who was so challenged and went away so brokenhearted might serve as an example for us. Father, save us from walking away from you with sad hearts because we have great wealth. Father, would you teach us what it means to follow you, to love you wholeheartedly, to find the forgiveness that is offered to us through the cross. And we pray, Father, not only that you would extend that mercy to us, but that you would do the impossible and save our friends, our family and our neighbours. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.